Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm George White, Managing General Partner of Legacy Exchange Partners, private equity group with interest in electric vehicles, real estate, aerospace, media, maritime, and mining. So now welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series. Over to our host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Thank you very much indeed, George. And George, what a fascinating life you have. And you, of course, were recommended by a dear friend of both of us, Brian J. Esposito, who is himself one of the most powerful connectors of people I've ever come across. His, um, his way of connecting us all is wonderful. But um, it's lovely having you on the series, George, and you've done so much in your life. I know in our earlier chat, I loved all the things we talked about. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So firstly, begin by telling us a little bit more about that range of things you're doing right now, and then we'll go back into early childhood. But tell us a bit about now this range of things you're doing. Well, thank you. Um, you know, really, really thrilled to have this opportunity. And let me give a shout out to Brian, absolutely the you know, best friend and business friend you could ever have. He's the separation of one. He literally knows everybody. So, um, you know, big, big thing there. Um, Brian's been a partner with us and, um, you know, we've developed these interests in electric vehicles, always been in the real estate business, aerospace, media and maritime uh, together and with a group of people that have extreme expertise in these fields. We cover about 12 different markets in these industries, and each one is just getting more and more fascinating and thrilling as we go. Fascinating. Now, here we are now, all these interesting things you've done. Let's take the time machine back to you as a young man. What shaped you to make you the successful leader and inspiring leader? Not that you say, but other people say you are. And Brian speaks very highly of you. What shaped you? Who was it? What events happened in your life? Just give us perhaps five minutes on that. It'd be really interesting. Yeah, a couple of those are kind of the obvious ones, like experience. It takes a long time to achieve success, the overnight success that takes 15 years and takes a lot of uh, failure as well. But um, when you go to the roots of every, every one of the industries that we're now paying attention to, it's kind of like big boys and their toys and childhood dreams. So um, everybody in my family was an aviator. My mother, my father, my two grandfathers, everybody was around aviation. So uh, it was almost natural that we would pick that up. I started flying at a very, very early age. And I think, you know, every kid of my era wanted to be an astronaut because that was really exciting. And all of a sudden we have that opportunity and capability. So um, you want to embrace that. And it's just, you know, grabbing that old childhood dream. I, I started by flying hang gliders and then hot air balloons. Uh, my father was throwing me off of these sand dunes in Michigan when I was about 10 years old in a hang glider. And um, so that really got me going. Um, the other thing he did is he, it, my father dragged me around to bank board meetings. 
And so I had to sit there as a 13-year-old paying attention to what was going on at bank boards. And you hear by osmosis how um, real finance decisions get made. You listen to powerful members of a bank board uh, sort of ripping through entrepreneurs and their balance sheets. So that sticks with you, good and bad. So, um, you know, that was a big, big uh, help to me getting started. Fantastic. No, really lovely. And, and particularly, I, I pick up a couple of things. Father, um, my father was uh, an aviator as well, uh, fast jet pilots. Sadly, um, both he and his brother were killed flying. Uh, and his father, my grandfather, was also killed flying. So we love flying in our family, but flying didn't necessarily love us. Um, but And also, do look back on the podcast interview I did with one of the NASA astronauts, which was fascinating. Uh, he's also a man big into technology and the CEO of uh, looking at robotics and AI and uh, drones and things like that. Fascinating guy. One of the earlier episodes in this series. But um, thank you for that, uh, George. Really interesting and as you look back on your life if you were to pick out a proudest moment and a darkest moment and what you learned from each of those which would you pick George? Yeah that's interesting um, there's a lot of proud moments that uh, sort of went um, unnoticed or maybe even uncelebrated many many years ago um, I, I just uh, bought this big property and we threw a big party and we had uh, we had just acquired a golf course and we were launching a major real estate development. I had just started sponsoring a NASCAR team and we put all this together in one big event. Um, maybe a little uh, Richard Branson-esque bravado there. And um, it may not have ultimately been a big, big celebration in that sense. But I look back at it, I was probably beaming with pride. It was a big deal. I'd finally uh, gotten over the finish line. Tons of fun. It ended with a big golf outing, had all you know, friends and family there. That was, that was a good one. Um, a lot of the small ones. Um, and then um, maybe about uh, seven, eight years ago, um, we had also closed, we had closed a, a nearly multi-billion dollar deal. And um, it was, it was during, let's call it unusual times. And it was heavily misinterpreted. And uh, somebody did a hatchet job on us and the deal in the media. It was very bad. When I did the actual interview, the uh, interviewer had no interest in hearing what I had to say, just wanted to put the time into the conversation to say he had interviewed me and take everything out of context, half truths, quarter truth, you know, pu you know, pure fake media, but with the malice and intent to really hurt me in the companies. And, um, you know, it turns out later it was inspired by somebody who had a hatchet to grind and that's too, too bad and unfortunate. And, you know, um, we all knew better. The people that know me were closest to me. The people do business with me. They all knew better than what had gotten written, but it was really hurtful. And yeah. it just shows how rough media people can be if they don't really care about companies or people or lives and they just want to be spiteful. And this mm -hmm. was a group of very spiteful people. It was a shame. Yeah. And what, what have you learned from that now, George? Control your own narrative. You know, he who lasts uh, last will laugh longest. I now have probably the most, you know, like what we're doing now. We have a powerful mouthpiece here. 
we're true and correct about what we do. We've built our businesses on uh, strength and with strong partners. And we have really evolved as a media company. And so I will have the last laugh here. Um, you know, we're building a television series chronicling this, and we're taking everybody to task. Everybody's going to be called out. We're willing to be called out ourselves on anything we've ever done or failures, but we're going to prove that, you know, what we say is what we're going to do. And we're just bigger than this. You know, we're just yeah. bigger. Yeah. So, I, I, th- um, I think it's, I think it's a really good point, George. And we've all got to be humble enough to admit we make mistakes. And, and when someone says to me, when I asked them, when was the last time you made a big personal mistake? And they go, mm, really hard to think about that. Maybe 1978, you know, <laughs> you go, really, you know, come on, really? Um, and, and I think learning from that and, and those tough moments, you know, you talked about that hatchet job. Brian talked about when he had the, the car crash and, and, uh, and the people that he thought were going to be there for him weren't. And, and um, I think of a number of moments I made great mistakes. One of them was a very bad property investment deal I made in Cyprus with a bunch of essentially what turned out to be con people, um, one of which I eventually managed to get to go to jail for about nine years myself and 30 other people who got misled and invested in something that wasn't what she'd sold it as. And um, But you, you, you learn the hard way. And I think you learn the most from those and they stay with you a long time. As long as you don't become embittered by it, um, I think that's a really great one. Um, my next question was, if we took all you know now, George, all the success you've had, all the, the bitter moments and the failures that you've learned from, and you went back and saw George White age 16, what bit of advice would you give? Hey, look, boy, this, this matters. Focus on that. And that doesn't matter. What would you say to yourself? Wow, there's so many of those. That's um, that's really a, it could be a long-winded answer. Um, I think the first thing is uh, don't eat all those sweets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was a, a sugary chow hound as a kid, so um, watch what you eat. It catches up with you later. So I, I'd call that a big one. Um, you know, there was uh, a lot of things that come through uh, when you uh, lay that question out. You know, going back in time telling my 16-year-old self, you know, focus on the business. Um, the, you cannot get hurt chasing business. You can get hurt chasing fun. You can waste time when you're young and you have all that energy. If you can channel it, um, it's amazing. I don't want to get uh, uh, too far off on to, um, you know, call it a literary reference, but uh, that uh, Napoleon Hill, Thinking Grow Rich, Chapter mm. 11 on transmutation of certain energies. If you can help all young people channel their energy into personal growth, business education, and away from chasing all the fun stuff, um, the fun is yet to come. It's always fun if you're doing something you love. So really hard to get that. Um, yeah. I, I had good... Uh, uh, disciplines beat into my uh, head by my father. He made sure that I took my flying lessons on Saturday mornings. That way I wasn't out partying on Friday nights. He, he had a pretty good strategy from keeping me in line. So, um, you know, little things like that that can have long-term effects, um, you know, mm. you know all, all good things. I, I do love the, the, the lessons that your father taught you around discipline 
And I find in my own life, uh, the things that have uh, helped my health and well-being, mental and physical, have been rituals and routines and habits. Um, and those are some of the foundational values that you'll lay down, which is nicely segue into what I call the Inspiring Leadership Compass, as you, you've seen on the, uh, on the website. Um, and the first of those eight principles or those sort of cardinal points that we have is MQ, which is your moral quotient. What uh, is your foundational principles, your ethics, your integrity, the things you live by? What would you say are your top three foundational ethical values that you live by and have really helped you through and what you've done when you slip away from them and you bring yourself back onto, onto the compass needle of true north? I would say you really got to focus on self-validation. This only took me 45 years to get. <laughs> I know what I want. I know what to do and I know how to do it. But the minute I let other people inside and they're telling me how to do it or they're skewing my thought process or they're trying to validate their variations on my themes, I begin to fail. And so I, I get almost, uh, uh, you know, charged up by reminding myself to um, validate my own choices. And I, you know, I've, I've had almost way too much experience. And so that's big. Um, mm. The next one is you must always add value. Mm. So many people walk into our office and they want to take money. You know, I, I wish I could put up, and I probably will now, is put up a neon sign. You know, I want a million dollars. Well, who doesn't? Do, the question is, do you have any concept about returning that money? This is about, um, you know, truly understanding what you do. Are you adding value or just financing your lifestyle off of us? And so if you don't add value, and value sometimes is not money, it's ideas, it's ambition, it's work process, it's connections. Money should almost be the last thing you add and you should have stack the deck way in your favor. Most people just think money is the solution. Once you, once you take it in the wrong format, it now becomes the problem. Mm -hmm. So a, a big one there, I, can't, I could go off on that for hours. And your um, third one, what would be your third one? So um, this is my favorite one, and it's quite frequently misinterpreted, a little bit of a variation of the theme of the last one is, do you want to be right or do you want to be rich? And when I say rich, I don't mean money. I mean rich in life, rich in health, rich in values, rich in experience, or do you just want to be right about everything? I have a lot of people that, myself included, I'm very guilty of it, of uh, being right all the time. You know, I'm, I'm uh, knowing that I'm right, but you might not then be rich in the experience of just the person you're with. It could be, a, you know, your closest loved one. It could be your children. You, you need to be rich in the experience and you need to be rich in life. Um, that one is, is a mm. big thing for us. And, um, you know, I'm, I, and I mean it, it's, you know, it comes from the heart, but it, it's yeah. very often misunderstood. I like that one. I like that one. I like all three and, and they resonate strongly. And, and that takes us on to the next point around the compass, which is PQ, pur uh, purpose and meaning. 
why you, George, do what you do, what gives your life a vocation, a calling, rather than just a job. So tell us, why do you do what you do? You know, it's funny. Go back to that original comment I made about, um, you know, trying to live your own dream. You know, I still think the same way I did when I was 16. I, you know, you have a childlike outlook towards um, business. It's about staying true to that while catching up with your own maturity and life around you. Um, so that inner truth is, is sticking close to the dreams, but, you know, modernizing. So, um, you know, the, the fun thing is um, one of my very first professions, I was a stand-up comedian. Oh, my God. I got paid to tell jokes. You know, that's the old, you know, high school guidance counselor. What are you, a comedian? No, oh, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I got paid for being a comedian. It was outrageous. I, I was I would have done it for free. And so um, that was that inner child. And there isn't anybody you can pick anybody who responds who hasn't been in a meeting with me where, um, you know, I bring that humor, that disarming humor uh, to the deal and to the situation. So, you know, that purpose gets into what our real deal is. Our company is called Legacy Exchange Partners that has a lot of interpretations. Um, it's about carrying on a legacy. Uh, it's about creating a legacy. It's about recovering a legacy. Uh, I have two sons. And um, I want them to have all of these gifts that I had, and I don't want them to. And, and you know, these are very smart, well-adjusted boys. They've been through a lot. Um, they've been um, very well educated and they've matured. And so that gift of a real legacy, not just business, not money, it's not opportunity. It's the ability to live your childhood dreams, share it with others. And, you know, there's, you can give sort of that, you know, Miss Universe and World Peace, you know, answer in there, but uh, working hard brings peace. So that's, that's, that, deal. that's good. And we'll talk, we'll touch on it again later on. The final of the, uh, the components will be legacy. We'll talk again about legacy because it's so deeply important. But you talked there about working hard. And one of the dangers in our society is that, we do work relentlessly, tirelessly, but but just like you and I were talking, I've just come back from a, a very well um, appreciated 10 or 11 days in the island of Madeira with my wife, where we, we switched off, we read books, we relaxed, played tennis, swam, went to the gym, but, but just recharged because for two years, we've just been burning the batteries out and, and we need to do that. So what do you do, George? to look after your mental health and your physical health? What tip would you give to others who are listening uh, around the world about mental health and physical health, a tip on each? Ooh, um, the one thing I do is I walk and talk. Um, yeah. The wonderful, this is the unintended byproduct of the COVID era is uh, everybody figured out how to work from where they are. And so I get out and walk between six and 12 miles a day. I have, I do it like a Olympic sport. I have my short form and my long form walk. And it's really depending on my uh, call uh, load and what I have going on. But most of the time, uh, nobody can tell that I'm out walking. 
but I learned from a very uh, advanced personal trainer uh, that whether you run a mile or walk a mile, you're going to burn about the same amount of calories. There's not too, too much difference. Since I'm not going to run a mile, I'll walk as I can walk forever. I'm like a camel I, in the desert. I just go. So I walk and talk. That is the best um, uh, thing I could give anybody is too much time is spent on social media and all the other stuff. I enjoy the one-on-one communications. I enjoy interacting with my business partners, clients, and friends. And so get out and walk. Uh, I have not been a big go-to-the-gym guy, but as I may have told you, I've lost nearly 90 pounds. And I do that through, you know, classic, um, you know, diet and exercise. Mm. Um, You cannot exercise your way to thinness. It must be how you eat. And so if you don't find the eating regimen that matches your body style and lifestyle, you cannot lose weight by exercise alone. Exercise is almost like the icing on the cake for giving the cake reference. So, yeah, it's very good. And, and you touch on something which is dear to my heart. I am a great believer in TRE, time restricted eating. So I'm on a 816, so eight hours of eating and 16 hours of fasting. So it's not a diet, it's just a way of life. I've been doing it now for 200 days. And um, again, with that, the weight drops off and it also you keep incredibly fit and you're helping your body to not only do um, autophagy, which actually stops the cancers growing, which unfortunately killed my uh, middle brother, David, about two months ago. Um, The cancer got him um, and he was dead within 10 weeks of diagnosis. But but the other thing, which is um, ketosis, which actually burns up certain fats to help feed the brain. So I think what you sound like you're doing is is really great. What do you do for your mental health? So walking meetings, I'm a big fan of walking meetings. I suppose it, it's the two combined, isn't it? The walking meetings help your mental health as well because you're not stuck in front of a screen all day long. Got to keep moving. Um, you know, uh, you just got to keep moving. Um, for mental health, there's maybe three or four things that I like to do. Um, I've gotten a lot of good uh, input um, on, you know, the types of foods that relate to mental health. But the, the, the reality is you have to exercise your mind. It's also, um, you know, like a muscle. In the mornings, I do extensive creative. I do a lot of uh, writing for television and film and series, uh, things that we're producing. And I get to switch left brain, right brain a lot. You know, finance and uh, business is sort of an automatic process, and creativity gives me a, a totally different outlet. So I find that the other, the balancing part about that is to read and read things that are challenging. And um, also, you know, downtime and sleep work. Um, I do have a pretty good fixed sleep pattern and downtime, but um, I will say I'm, I'm forcing myself a little bit. I'm, I'm at that sort of perfect age where all of my peers are also CEOs and general partners and managers and decision makers. So I'm running at it a lot harder than I used to. 
And because this is, uh, this is the time, you know, that next 10 year window is where we can really excel and deliver. So um, pushing myself mentally, um, you know, I, I, I think I should have gone with you on that vacation. That sounded pretty darn good, but, uh, um, and I'm definitely due for a little vacation and escape. Yeah. But, yeah. You definitely need reading. Definitely reading need. lets you escape into your own mind and experience others. So, you know, that's a good one. No, it, it's, it's a very good one. And it takes us on to the next uh, component, EQ. Uh, well spoken about it's um, IQ is, you know, 6% of people's uh, success in uh, performing in a, in a business job or in life. Uh, but EQ is 30%. Um, so, you know, five times more important. And what would be your top tip on managing and knowing yourself, managing and reading others, reading the reality of a situation in a culture or in an environment? What do you, what would be your top tip on what's helped you develop EQ and succeed in business? That's a fun one. Um, it's always the quietest guy in the room who most likely is the smartest. Um, too many times I'm brought into the room to be the guy giving the big pitch. So I have to be the loudest. And so the other part of that is um, know your audience. And that what that really means is ask questions and truly listen. So as part of my presentations, I try to keep the audience alive with questions. Goes back to my stand-up comedy days is you want to interact with the audience as a group. I'm not the type of guy that goes out and heckles individuals. So I don't, when I'm doing a presentation, I don't want anybody to steal my time or my show. So I always have a, a list of 10 questions in my mind, ready to go. And then I listen intently. I actually try to leave with more information than I give. Um, I, I already know what I'm going to do and what my business is. So I try, to, I try to get people to give me lots of answers. The other one that's really fun to do, and it's helpful, is ask a question that you already know the answer to. And then the other fun one about that is just make sure the people on your team that may be in the room know that you're going to do that. There's nothing worse than somebody going, oh, I thought you already knew, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm like, I want to know if the other guy in the room knows it. And so that tells you a lot. So it's a, it's yeah. a great way to gain that, um, that, that intellectual advantage. Mm. I, I do like those advice. They, they fit very well. And one of the great books uh, I'm a great fan of is a book by an American author called, um, what's it called? It's, um, well, there's two, there's two books. There's Quiet by Susan Cain, uh, In a World That Doesn't Shut Up in Praise of Introverts. And the other one is the, is the Promise uh, by Nancy Klein, an American, another American author. And Nancy's been a mentor to me. She's in her seventies now. But the Promise that changes everything: I won't interrupt you, and not interrupting another person, and having a deal where you each have turns works out so well. And talking about other people takes us on nicely to CQ, which is the collective or cultural intelligence, uh, which has come to the fore now in a big way for a long time it's been just as important but people haven't given it the emphasis which is the diversity the equality the inclusion what's your tip for developing a good cultural intelligence to understand people who are different from you with different perspectives and it it runs on nicely from what you've said but it's more for the collective 
That's yeah, it's the hottest topic du jour, right? But the the, the real thing is, I, I've been fortunate that travel has been a big part of my uh, business. So I've gone deep into many, many different types of cultures, and I've stayed uh, long periods of time. And so I was the odd man out in a lot of uh, cultural situations. And it, it just goes back to some of these things we've just talked about that, you know, you know, everybody is equal and um, you should listen to other people and get to know them and really use it. It's an advantage, you know, saying you're the dominant person. That's no advantage. Understanding what the other guy's about is a real advantage because it's true information. And so um, you know, I grew up in uh, Chicago area and we uh, got to be immersed in all sorts of different cultures. Um, my father being a banker and we um, almost, you know, by rule, we had to deal with all types of applicants at the bank and you had to be very uh, polite about receiving anything and everything. And so there's so much more under the hood if you just allow yourself to do it. And, um, you know, it just became like a standard behavior. We now have every, um, you know, race, creed, affiliation in our business, in our life as friends. Just let it be, you know, st- there, there's nothing to fight over. Just let it be. And it's, it's the spice of life. It, it's really interesting you say that. Two, two thoughts come to mind that triggered from what you just said. One is I on holiday was reading Shogun. Uh, which is a great story of uh, obviously Japan and an English sailor and the Portuguese and the Spanish and how people thought that the, they, they understood the others or that they were just really wrong and just dirty and horrible and they ate meat and can you believe it and all this kind of stuff. And, and they, they chopped off people's heads just at the slightest thing or committed suicide. Um, misunderstanding. And then the other one was, a, an, again, another good podcaster. I really commend his podcast to you, Major General Jonathan Shaw, um, and CBCBE, and he was the director of special forces for the British Army. And he was speaking recently about his experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. And he goes, we got it so wrong culturally. We misread the cultures. We thought we could make our culture their culture. Like, we're right. We're going to impose our culture on you. We'll try and encourage it first, and then we'll just we'll force it on you. But, of course, it never worked out. And it, the cost was billions, trillions uh, of, of what went on and lives of friends of mine and people that I, I know and have served with. So so culture is such a big area. And, and what you say makes great, great sense. Takes me on to the next one, which is resilience, RQ. Not only do you need resilience in situations like uh, my 20 years in the military, which definitely needed a lot of resilience. But in business, uh, I've needed lots of resilience and so have you. You've, you know, you've climbed almost to the top like Sisyphus, almost to the top. And then the boulder rolls down and you've been cursed to roll it up the hell again the next day. Uh, what would be your top tip about resilience against adversity, George? You know, that's the classic uh, pick yourself up and get right back to work. I, I go back to 2007, 2008, and the world collapsed on my head. I always say I never failed, but the four banks I was attached to, they failed and their buildings fell on my head. I got up the next day and went right back to work. I had no choice, but it's that just, you know, pick yourself up and get right back to work. 
um, you know, my father and my grandfather's all dogged, determined guys. I mean, it's just, you know, bred into the DNA, but never quit, never give up. There's always the next day. I know so many stories I wish I didn't know about people who gave up in 2007, 2008, people close to me, three people uh, actually killed themselves. And it was horrifying. I felt like I was, uh, uh, you know, like a a war veteran with uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome, but everything got better. Everything got way better. And so you, you, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going. Mm. And so, man, um, don't buy into the dogma. Don't let these people paint you negative. Don't let anybody do it. You know, you're doing the right thing. Get up and do it. Mm. And um, you have to just tune out any type of negativity. And the worst thing is it's always the people closest to you and they don't realize how damaging it is. You're trying to pick yourself up against, un, you know, untold forces and power and people and, um, you know, against being told you're wrong when you know you're right, being shot down a thousand times after losing everything. And you're just trying to do your thing. And so just tune it out. Yeah. You know, uh, so, um, uh, George, you're, you're so right. And then there's the paradox of the next element, <clears throat> which is brand, reputation, image and impact, BQ. And one of the things that I find very helpful with the CEOs and the chairman and the managing directors that I coach around the world is when we get 360 feedback. Um, so on the one hand, we need this positivity, this, this ability to keep going when the whole world seems against you. But on the other hand, we need the humility and the humanity to listen to how we're received by family, friends, bosses, direct reports, clients, customers. And, 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 are they things that I'm going to do something about or am I going to ignore it? And, and so sometimes you have people with the alternative reality of uh, Steve Jobs that, you know, I'm right and you're wrong, which uh, sometimes he was right. Sometimes he was wrong. What have you done to listen to 360 feedback, which maybe a coach of yours had got for you and pick out the bits that you go, do you know what? I can do better on those things. I'm going to do something. The other things, I'm going to let them go. I, I know about that, but I'm just going to sit with that. What have you done about your own 360, George, uh, that you'd you advise know, others? Well, w- we know when we're wrong. And, you know, listening to your inner voice. And even though a lot of criticism does not come constructively, it comes virtually offensively, you can interpret it. This is back to self-validation. I got to the point where I literally don't care what anybody else says, meaning format, but I will listen for the substance. And if it applies to what I'm concerned about myself, I'll take the criticism. I'm really tough. I, I can take it. And mm-hmm. it comes unsolicited 24 seven. I have a whole list of people that'll tell me what I can't do. And so the whole world's full of can't do people. That's why there's a 1%. can't do. They have every excuse in the world, every reason. And they somehow think uh, we, the people who are out trying to make the difference, don't know all these negatives. We're fully aware of them. We don't need reminders. It's just that we think fast and process through them and do the workarounds. Get it done. Just figure it out. Keep working the problem. Life is a giant Rubik's cube with a thousand boxes on either side. Just keep turning it. The answer is in there. But, um, you know, um, 
there there's things that I would tell you that are important, like stay liquid, you know, keep a big percentage of cash and assets on hand. That was a big one. That's hurt me too many times, just like anybody else, is you must have the liquidity to enforce your uh, vision. Our brand is vision with precision. And it means be precise about what you're doing and be able to share it. And then I still embrace my concept of a generational outlook, but it's got to have immediate impact. You know, we, we have to have everything we do for the next generation have immediate impact today. Um, you know, we get, we get pitched a lot by people who think what they have, you know, they have the next billion dollar idea. I find a penny every single day and that's God's way of paying me. That's what my ideas are worth a penny. I'm expected to do everything else to create the value. So you get paid every day. It's a penny. Everything else is up to you. George, great wisdom. Have you written your book yet? Because uh, you write well. Um, or what's the book going to be called when you write it about your wisdom and your experiences from your life? Yeah, I have three unfinished books. One's called Surf for Your Life or Be Bored to Death. And it was the start of um, when I was really unhealthy and a buddy dragged me out to go surfing. And I was you know, bigger than a whale and I could barely paddle out past the break. And it was the, and he was 65 and he was shredding the wave like a master and I could barely paddle out past the break. So surf for your life or be bored to death. The great unfinished book. Uh, the next book is called MBA the hard way, which is, you know, this times a hundred, I can give you thousands of experiential things that would make mm. up a book. Mm. And then my final book is called reminiscence of a Palm beach evening. And I've written many chapters on that. And it's every time I'm sitting in Palm Beach, enjoying the beautiful breeze and the ocean and the lifestyle and reflecting on this. That is an unfinished book. And I hope it's an unfinished book for a very long time. That is great. George, I love that. We're on to the final few thoughts. Uh, executive teams. Um, you've worked with a lot of teams over the years, uh, both in uh, seeing bankers like your father, advising them and you've been in them and you've worked with them. Um, what is your top tip of taking a toxic team and getting it to become a high-performing team? Well, first things first is um, Giorgio Armani said he didn't truly become successful till he learned how to fire his lawyers. Um, you know, I don't have any tattoos, but I may get that tattooed on myself at some point is um, so much influence and so many people rely heavily on their lawyers to make decisions. That's a guaranteed failure. If you can't make your own decisions, that's not a slight on the legal profession, but too many people hide under their lawyers. If you can't tell your lawyers what to do, you're going to fail. Um, I love taking over teams. It's become my modern habit. I tell people this all the time. I have a lot of fund managers in my aura that love to hire resumes. I've never seen a resume work. I need a team to work. No great company was ever built by one person. Subsequently, you must find a team. And if you give a team, a good team, the resources that they need, combination of encouragement, capital, um, you know, letting them do what they think they want to do, you can find great people in the strangest places. Um, some of the team members I have right now are people I never would have hired, but they're amazing people. 
So um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, 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 I ride horses. I play polo. You give the horse its head and let it run and see what the horse can do. When I first hire somebody, I give them a list of like a hundred tasks that are all over the board. I let them run and see what they can do. And then you check them up and get them in their lane. And so if you don't have the ability, you can't control people. It's not possible. So if you think you're controlling people, you're going to fail. You have to put them in a lane and let them do what they're best at. And so if you find an organic group of people that already work together, even if they've failed, but you give them the tools for success, you'll achieve your goal way faster. Good people magnify your uh, uh, success. But when you get a bad actor, a bad cancerous person, you cut them out real fast and make sure you make a good example of it. You don't do it too ruthlessly. Um, you'd be surprised that this is two things I don't think bosses ever say is, you know, uh, you know uh, sometimes you do have to go back to these people for something. So you better do it nicely on both sides. I've had that either fortunate or unfortunate experience. So yeah, um, be, it's, be careful how you how you hire and be real careful how you fire. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's great wisdom. And uh, one of the CEOs I worked with said, "Let people leave with the dignity with which they came with, and um, but help them find their happiness elsewhere." Just say this is not working and, and help them quickly move on and, and leave and go elsewhere, but don't destroy them in the process. They will, they will come back uh, and they will cause. Um, it, da- if damage. we had a logo for uh, the last uh, 20 years, it would certainly be a burnt bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's very, very true. Now we talked about three books that you're part way through. Um, but if you were to pick a good book on leadership or an autobiography I was reading Malcolm X recently. I've been uh, reading uh, Carnegie uh, about the steel magnet and, and things like that. And Winston Churchill, I'm reading his autobiography at the moment. But what would be a book that you'd pick and why would you recommend it to the audience who are listening? So I, I, I read a lot of Aristotle, oh, but yes. not Aristotle. I read Aristotle Onassis. His right. biography is so fascinating. I, re- I go back to it almost as if it's, um, you know, he was, he was the last of the really great tycoons. And so I love to channel my inner, inner Aristotle Onassis. So mm-hmm. um, I, have, I have a very old copy of dog-eared uh, Aristotle Onassis's biography. I, I've been uh, rereading Armin Hammer's um, uh, sort of autobiography as well. He's really fascinating because he was successful in a hundred. I, I, I didn't hear the name of the guy you said. Who is it? Armand Hammer, uh, founder of Occidental Petroleum and um, uh, uh, many, many other companies. Um, fascinating guy. Uh, traveled the world, was in Russia when nobody was in Russia, always was meeting with modern presidents, good friend to Reagan. Um, interesting man who, um, you know, did one of everything, had one of everything and achieved massive success. Um, but, you know, straight up guy, uh, really, really interesting. Um, there's a great book by Robert Heller called Age of the Common Millionaire. Uh, I highly recommend it. But what I'd really like to do is the, um, you know, 2.0 of that, which is Age of the Common Billionaire. I read this book when I was really young. And you saw the how 
millionaires became millionaires, like every story, every brand name that you've ever heard of. There's always a, a group or family or team behind those success stories. Well, how'd they do it? And that's that sort of, uh, you know, cutting through um, and finding the patterns of success. Um, I'm looking forward to reading uh, Jack Hittery's book. Um, he's from Alphabet uh, Google, and he's uh, got a book out called Quantum Computing, an Applied Approach. And this is, uh, I just listened to Jack speak last week. Uh, he's become a friend and um, he breaks down quantum computing, which is something I know absolutely nothing about, but Jack breaks it down to applied um, uh, immediate uh, formats and simplifies it. Now his book has got a lot of, you know, coding in it, which again, I know nothing about, but I'm inspired by his uh, approach and why quantum computing is going to change everything we're doing. I'm, I'm, I went from the absolute doubting Thomas to the true believer. And I'm really interested about getting into this book. So that's my other book recommendation. Wow. Oh, that really great recommendations. And so we're onto the final bit, which is just George, if you do a, a two minute top tip, um, it'll be part of this and also stand on its own. So if you'd introduce yourself again, and what you do, and then leave us with a two minute top tip and we'll finish recording and have a chat after we finish. I try to do this fast. Sure. Uh, again, I'm uh, George White. I'm the managing general partner of Legacy Exchange Partners. And this is my attempt at two minute tip of uh, 10 things to change your life real fast. So um, let it go. It's a, whole, a holistic practitioner once told me to take everything I was mad about, write it down on a piece of paper and light it on fire. It was awesome. Um, uh, it's always your fault. This is number two. It's always your fault. Take the blame. Release all the losers in your life, get out of their orbit, get them out of your orbit, take all the blame, forgive yourself immediately, and just get beyond it. Start over. It's easier than you think. Um, you know, um, airplanes uh, don't fix themselves in the air. When something's going wrong with an airplane, put it on the ground, land it, put the fire out, run, parachute, get. I start every day with a, a blank piece of paper and pencils. Uh, number four, don't get mad, get even, get ahead. Uh, my first job, I, I was a commodities trader, and it taught me how to cut my losers and run with my profits. Wow, was that a great life lesson. Um, living well is way beyond the best revenge, but pay attention to wellness. Health is the key to everything. After losing 80, 90 pounds and starting life almost completely over, I gained a totally new perspective. Um, quit wasting time. Uh, this this uh, series could easily be called Don't Confuse Your Activity with Accomplishment. Uh, I say it this way. It's better to make TV than to watch TV. Um, number seven, figure out who is messing with you. And as much as it's always uh, your fault, you may have to get rid of some enablers. Uh, create a good mastermind group. Imagine uh, you are the average of the net worth of your five closest friends. It's not about making money, but it's a very strong analogy. Uh, imagine your closest friends are a drag on your life and not contributing. So um, past is not prologue. Boy, is that important. It's great, uh, but it's way better to make your future. Write it down, stick to it, keep it moving. And whenever you're doing right, whatever you're doing right now is what you should be doing. Pay attention. Uh, number nine for me is my uh, line from uh, Giorgio Armani, fire the lawyers, get rid of bad lawyers fast. Um, you know, these guys, this concept of you can steal more with a briefcase than you can with the gun. 
the lawyers have rigged the system. So you got to watch them like a hawk. Um, <laughs> number 10, have fun. Having a bit of time to soul search over the last 10 months. Um, the last year, year ago or so, I skied for the first time in seven years. There's such a joy um, in those small accomplishments. Celebrate the small victories. Change your state of mind and be present. If you um, got to give everybody the courtesy of you being in charge of yourself. George, brilliant. Uh, a masterclass in tips, lessons, life experiences, and authenticity. Thank you very much for being on the series. And I wish you every success with all that you do. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.